Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC main card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow Fight Analyst Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We're coming to you all right after another miserable card of picks, oh my must Lord. be said. Oh, of picks. Man, I was I completely forgot who I picked. I just thought the card was miserable. Yeah, we picked Sergey. We or we picked Curtis Blades and Brad Tavares. <laughs> and uh I think we picked you picked Jeremiah Wells. I think I picked Matt. I did, yeah. And then we picked Ricky Glenn. And we picked Carol Hosa. And we picked... Uh, I, I We got Muhammad Usman right. I was happy about that. Yeah. The funny thing but, is, so all these fights as they played out did not look like ones where this person could not win. Yeah. No, Carol they all... Hosa, but... Yeah, I, I don't know. It was just a dreadful night of fight. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't interesting on paper. It didn't. It wasn't interesting to watch. Yeah, Francis Marshall, Bat Dana, Bat Jareel. These are all yeah. what we picked that did not. Yeah. Win. So we're coming to you guys back with an expert lineup <laughs> of for <laughs> uh, UFC Apex, UFC Vegas, whatever, 72. But the weird thing is, like, we had UFC Vegas 71 just, like, a couple of, like, three weeks ago. And then we had it again one week ago. So, (laughs) he has really, they have taken that that numbering system and screwed it all up. So, that's kind of off. We're back with UFC Fight Night, Song versus Simone at the Apex facility. Uh, and another fight card that is one fight deep, really. Um, yeah, and would have been less if they hadn't yanked this main event off of last week's undercard. Yeah, yeah. Our, our main event was supposed to be Armand Saryukian versus Hanato Moikana, which would have also been one fight deep. Yeah. Um, And now it's Song Yadong versus Ricky Simone. And... The worst part is that in this case, there's actually not even one other fight on this card of interest where, like, the whole fight is of interest. Yeah, that's kind of true. Like, there is no other fight on this card where I'm like, ah, oh, you know, but, like, secretly, because, you know, Pavlovich versus Blades, not a, not a good card. But Montel Jackson, honey, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm a little interested in that. Christos Giagos, Ricky Glenn. I'm a little interested in that. Jeremiah Wells, Matthew Semmelsberger. Bobby Green, Jared Gordon. These were all fights I was a little interested in because uh-huh. they were well-booked competitive fights against interesting veteran talents. Or, you know, fighters on the rise who had been having a lot of success. Hell, even Bruno Silva, Brad Tavares is not... A terrible fight, but yeah, 
Kyle Bohio versus Michael Alexejuk is, I mean, Bohio, the the performances he's been turning in lately, they are not fun performances. No, man, even this one got lost a bunch of fights this week. It was also supposed to have Emily Ducote. Yeah. And Pollyanna Viana. And it was supposed to have Josh Quinlan was supposed to be fighting Angelosa. Yeah, that would have been that would have been a cool Which fight. It was a much more interesting matchup. And but like Adolfo <sighs> Pierre versus Cody Brundage? I don't Yeah. Juliana Rosa? Love Juliana Rosa versus Fernando Padilla. God man. These are just not, you know, Marco Sogeria de Lima, cool. Versus Waldo Cortez Acosta. Yeah. I don't what is going on? Like yeah, this is this is filler for filler's sake, and you know UFC step it up because like we again, get... I, I I once again I know we just had a spate of like good cards. They weren't even like absolutely jam packed across the board with amazing fights, but it, it, somehow we get back into the spell. And I just forced to ask like, how is the UFC capable of putting together cards this bad? Yeah, it, how it, is the the roster is not this shallow. It really is not. The problem is that it's actually so big that they just have a lot of fighters that even they don't care about. That is that really comes through on these cards. Yeah, the matchmaking That's, honestly feels on all of these Apex cards like just completely careless. Yeah, it is literally just we have fighters that need contracted fights. And we don't care what they are. We're just yeah. getting them done. It used to be like, yeah, the, the UFC could boast that it was like the big show. And like the moment you got in was like a huge moment in your career. Mm-hmm. And now it's like you just get like lost in like a corporate shuffle. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I'm going to make it. I'm joining the UFC with 800 other nobodies that. Yeah. There's so many of them that like the literally the matchmakers do not care about the it, fighters. It is a. Really, actually, they've put a lot of layers in that you don't even think about. Like, you know, we don't think about, I think, if I'm, maybe, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure Jamal Hill was the first Dana White's Contender Series fighter to fight for a title. Mm -hmm. Not just, you know, he won, but to actually fight for a title. I'm pretty sure he was the first guy. Mm -hmm. And... He was, uh, what, season one of Contender Series? <laughs> uh-huh. So, you know, like, yeah, that says decent things about the Contender Series as, oh, no, he was season three. Okay. Okay. What like, season are they on now, by the way? Uh, season seven, I think. Wow. You know, uh, let's see, five, six... Yeah, we just had season six just wrapped last year. So we're going to season seven. But, you know, so there's this layer now of like, okay, you get to the contender series. That's your big, that that's your, your first step now before you can get to the UFC. Mm-hmm. Almost everybody has to go to the contender series. Then you go through the contender series and you're, unless you're, Pre preordained for stardom, unless you're Bo Nickel or Greg Hardy or uh, Raul Rosas, 
mm-hmm. who will now be back on prelim, uh, apex prelim duty. All, all, all of them, by the way, obvious picks because they're all clearly so good and ready. Yeah, no, they're 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 people with narratives that the yeah. UFC is invested in. Unless you're preordained for stardom, then you're going to be on fight night prelim cards and you're going to be in fight night prelim cards or occasionally, you know, a a main card on a fight night for a while and getting off of that into like a pay-per-view main card takes years and fans do not know about or care about those fight night prelim, these fight night cards (laughs) that we're about to talk about. So everybody listen to our show and (laughs) even guys like this, like, like Josh Quinlan, for example. Yeah. That dude would have been like a super exciting prospect that they would have tried to push like eight years ago. Yeah. Like as much as the UFC ever tried to push anyone, like let's not pretend that just because this feels like a, uh, a, a fucking the bottom of a pit that uh, that they were ever at the mountaintop of actually managing fighters' careers, but they no, would have like but... no, but they would have like seen that dude's knockouts and he's got a little charisma, yeah, and they would have been like, oh, like this dude is getting a co-main event on a fight night or something, yeah, no, he just gets randomly thrown in there with some uh, guy, with some guy. Yeah, again, he was supposed to fight Angelosa, which was a better fight. Yeah. But he was still going to be on, like, the curtain jerker of a main card of a fight night that looks completely uninteresting except for the main event. Yeah. So let's talk about that main event. Yeah. Song Yadong, Ricky Simone, and uh, it's, a good, it's a good fight, and I will be damned if I feel like I have an uh, easy line on it. Yeah, it's a bantamweight contenders fight, so it literally can't be bad. Um, yep. And it is a difficult one to call because, um, uh, like, uh, largely for one reason, which is that I, I'm going to spend the rest of this uh, discussion, like, coming up with lots of reasons why I favor Ricky Simone, mm-hmm. and why I've been really impressed with Simone and his improvement, and why. Uh, that stands out in particular because it feels like Song Yudong has basically been on a plateau for almost his entire UFC career mm-hmm. and has not progressed at all. And I'm going to lay out all these reasons, and the entire time I'm going to be thinking Song Yudong might just knock him out. Yeah. Because Ricky Simone had that fight with uh, the reincarnated corpse of Uriah Faber. And just got knocked out. I mean, granted, he was particularly careless. I don't think he's like that again. But between the two of them, Song Yudong clearly has the superior chin. He is, like, virtually impossible to actually hurt. And uh, and I've seen Ricky Simone knocked out. And that is the thing. I, I just I don't fully trust Ricky Simone yet enough to think that he can he can escape just getting, he gets hit super clean in every fight still. I mean, yeah, it happens. He takes them well, usually. So like, it's not, it's not fair to, to just assume he's going to get KO'd because he's going to get hit. But, um, but that Song is Yudong, really... I mean, the, you know, when Song Yudong came on the scene, he was automatically like, when Ricky Simone came to the UFC, it was like, Oh, this is a fun, this is a fun guy. Who's going to fight at the higher levels. He's yeah. clearly athletic, has a nonstop motor, a lot of fun. 
Mm-hmm. But when Song Yudong stepped into the cage, it was like, oh, this guy's going to fight for a title at some point. Yeah, You will have to, because you do not have that amount of athletic talent and not make it to at least a title fight once. Yeah. And so, yeah, it is hard to, you know, any any fight Song Yudong is in, you, you, you kind of have to just be a little bit like, he could just he could just run this guy over. Could happen. Yeah. God, he's dangerous, you know. But yep. But you know, it the, the, it is true that Ricky Simone has realized a lot more of his potential than Song Yudong has. Yeah, one of the big things that I noticed just in that at all was watching Ricky Simone fight uh, Jack Shore. Mm-hmm. And then going back and watching him fight Rob Font. Yeah. Oh, a world of difference. And the big thing in that fight was that Rob Font, when he pushed Ricky Simone back behind his jab, it it was the end of Ricky Simone's offense. Yes. It just, he did not know what to do about it. He did not know how to fight away from it. He would run himself back into the cage and circling away just meant that he had nothing left. When Ricky Simone dropped Jack Shore to uh, eventually submit him, he did that while retreating mm-hmm. with Jack Shore coming after him and throwing. Right hand counter off the back foot and really well timed. Yep. And yeah. Yeah. And that has been like the, you know, that, that is the easiest way to track the improvement of Ricky Simone is that he's comfortable enough now that just pushing him back and just, you know, get giving him something to think about isn't enough to stop his offensive. No, he, he has gotten vastly more comfortable. Um, and it is because his technique has improved. Like, yeah. His technique has improved, and even where the technique isn't perfect, like uh, Ricky Simone is one of these fighters where uh, I wouldn't say that I love his defense, uh, his boxing defense, but I really like the way he uses it. He mm-hmm. moves his head, he moves his feet, and if somebody takes a swing at him and it, it, it and they miss, he almost always comes back with a serious counter. Um. So he he really makes the most of like a pretty limited defensive toolkit. And uh, and then, yeah, offensively, he has just completely transformed his punching. Like he throws much tighter, cleaner punches. He puts combinations together quite well. Uh, He's a lot more accurate. And basically just Ricky Simone has made himself into a far more flexible fighter. That he, you know, he can push forward like he was um, allowed to do against Rafael Sunsal, and put together like multiple throwaway shots to set up the fight-ending uh, punch at the end of a long combination. Uh-huh. He can sort of box and, and fence around with Jack Shore and find a counter off the back foot, and he can still wrestle. Yep. And used to be he was just like the crudest wrestle boxer. Switch up, yeah. and pay and pace. Yep. And now I see no reason to think he doesn't. He isn't still capable of sustaining a pace that I still have yet to really see from Song Yudong. Yeah. But he is just a way more flexible fighter. He he is gonna have the wrestling switch up in his back pocket, 
if not like a major part of his strategy, that'll be effective at the very least for uh, keeping Song Yudong's guns holstered a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just having that 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 blast double threat uh, is always a huge factor when somebody like Song Yudong wants to just come forward and plant his feet and throw. Um, and yeah, he's just like way more comfortable and fluid and creative on the feet. And I, the only thing is, is I'm still not entirely sure what Ricky Simone's like. I don't know. There's guys like, like Rob Font. You can look at his game and be like, okay, I get this. I know what he's trying to do. Yeah. Everything sort of fits together. Ricky Simone's fights still all kind of look different from each other. Well, there's no, uh, there's no clear stopping point for Ricky Simone. I mean, he's yes. a bit like Marab Dvalishvili in that way. Although yeah. Dvalishvili's uh, evolution for that Jan fight is a little scary in, you know, yeah, in, in how much he was able to just be like, oh, no, 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 I'll just, here is an infinite thing that mm-hmm. you can never stop. And what do you do? But Ricky, it, it, you know, it's, it's, there's, there is no, yeah, there's no, it, it, he, they're both guys that are turning up the do all things all the time style of an MMA. Yeah. Which does always leave that little idea of, well, what if you just stop them from doing a thing? Mm-hmm. You know, what if you stop Ricky Simone from wrestling? What, you know, where does, what is he trying to do then? But, you know, it wasn't like he was just having all the success in the world with Jack Shore. He was, he knocked him out standing. It is just kind of a bit of a like it. It's just it, I just think he sort of just whatever he's going to do, do to have success with the striking, he seems to just sort of find it through the course of the fight. Yeah, it's it's not the you know it's not the Max Holloway the. Uh, he doesn't have a, a a a like linear process that he sort yeah. of adds little bits to and, and adjusts depending on exactly. who he's fighting. He sort of seems to go in there and be like, okay, well, this is how I'm going to strike this guy. And sometimes it does not always appear that he knows until the fight plays out. But I think that is a str- that can be a strength for him as well. Again, he's he, he comes across now as a very flexible fighter. Yeah. And... It's, it's a, you know what it is? Mm-hmm. Uh, ironic because he is going to go down in history as is it the last? Yeah, he's, he's going to go down in history as the last win on Uriah Faber's record. Mm-hmm. But it is a bit Uriah Faber 2.0. Yeah, yeah. It's you like know? a yeah, deeper Uriah Faber than deeper than Uriah's striking, certainly. Yeah. Where it's um, just like yeah. you watch Uriah Faber in any one fight and you're kind of like, oh, you can whip out some really like powerful. Yeah good technical answers to something, but do you give Uriah Faber like a vacuum to strike in and you're just like, what is your plan here? Yeah. The thing is, I do have faith that given that kind of environment, Ricky Simone will come up with ideas. Sure. He he has really blossomed in his like creativity as a striker. That's Mm -hmm. the thing that, that can be a, um, a drawback as well is like, you know, there are guys who get too many ideas and, won't just like sort of methodically figure out what works and find ways of keeping it working. 
Um, maybe he has that. Maybe he hasn't. I mean, he has also been like kind of crushing people lately. So, yeah. it, you know, see him in a little more adversity and maybe we'll see a bit more of him having to sort of follow some, some set tracks. All of this is in contrast to Song Yudong, yeah. who, uh, again, it's been a bit frustrating. I mean, He's maybe... improving, I think, but it is very small improvements. Is he? On... I think so. How do you think he's improving? I think that uh, he's improved his his timing and his his small like small like head movement counter adjustments, little like slip combinations, kind of little like trickier stuff that he can do in the moment. You know, I remember feeling like the way he put uh, Julio Arce away was a really good sort of read and adjustment on Arce's game. And I was really impressed with the way he came out early against Corey Sandhagen Mm -hmm. and was finding room within Sandhagen's game to land his own strikes and looking crafty and creative to the point that Sandhagen like really busted him open. And I don't know if that gave his confidence a hit or just sort of, took his mind off the fight a little but after well, that he also got threatened with 14 takedown attempts if i recall yeah that, that too that too sanhagen um, just overwhelmed him with information yeah and and so it, you know that took him off that that took him off the track he started on but i feel like it was a much more impressive track than where he started in fights with casey kenny or kyler phillips or marlon vera yeah I, I kind of, I, I kind of think he's. We can at least agree he is largely the same guy he was when he got here. Yeah, I mean the 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 tech the the thing is is that like the technical form the form on his tools has always been good. So, and he's always you know he's an insane athlete. Yeah. So you kind you know it's kind of one of those things of like. You can you can easily see how he might be satisfied, you know. Yeah, no, I think he is very much a guy who is held back by <laughs> being so innately good at all this. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, he's insanely powerful and fast, and um, and, and yeah, it just has like naturally great balance, and it just is like a you know if he's ready for it, it's like running to a brick wall trying to take him down. Uh, yeah. It was even before he went to Team Alpha Male, but Team Alpha Male. Speaking it's of you not know, strategy camp. Yeah, speaking of errors to Uriah Faber, uh, Ricky Simone has. There's a reason he feels like a Uriah Faber 2.0 right now because yeah, Song Yudong went to Team Alpha Male and his game has basically like maybe his wrestling has gotten a little better. That tends to kind of happen. He's probably on some some of that good juice they got there, <laughs> so his his stamina may have improved uh, related to that as well. But um, like we do mean the the Uriah Faber branded juice bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Celery juice. Lobby. Celery. Yeah, celery juice. Yeah, yeah. Um, clarify. Yeah, and um, but he's yeah he's just like the same guy. For, for, for all intents and purposes, and 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 what that really means is that he 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 has not he has yet to learn to like moderate his power and his intensity. Yeah, um, well, and he's yet to learn to like 
to build a fight. Yeah. You know? He just he just thinks he's going to get in there and there's going to be an opening and he is going to absolutely wreck somebody with huge bombs. He throws everything super hard. Yep. Um, and this has two shortcomings. One is that for all his speed, his his timing is not that tricky to figure out for most people. Yeah. Um, especially comparable athletes. Like there, there is a pretty clear demarcation between the guys Song Yedong blows out of the water and the guys that he either loses to or at least has competitive fights with. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, and I, I think this is the bigger issue against a lot of smarter opponents, is that he um, he can't track people down. Like, yeah. he, he's actually very light on his feet when he's not punching. He's very fast and, and agile. But he digs his feet in, and people just run circles around him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just, like, surges forward like a bull in a completely straight line, or he is standing, like, squared up, just whipping bombs at people. And, again, not knowing, like, what Ricky Simone's sort of not having a, not having the feeling that he has like an underlying process. It's tough to be like, Oh, he's going to do what Corey Sandhagen did. Yeah. But there you are, can't bank on that. But. No, no, but there are elements of that, that I think Simone is more than capable of co-opting. I think he can move around. He can find counters with the back fit when he needs to. He has a more meaningful wrestling threat mm-hmm. to, to sort of throw some, some sand in, in Song Yudong's gears. And I think he can fight at a pace that Song Yudong can't maintain. Yeah, I mean, one, one of the other things that worth remembering, too, out of that, that Corey Sandhagen fight was there was a moment pretty early on where Song Yudong got a really nice sort of surprising back take mm-hmm. on Sandhagen and then just kind of got, like, pulled out of the position because mm-hmm. he was so aggressive in... It's team alpha male for you. He didn't really try to keep it that much. Yeah. And that is probably a really bad sign against Ricky Simone. Yeah. Because if you tangle up with him and you don't try to keep your position and you like just continue to let the scramble happen, Ricky Simone will win the scramble. He scrambles like a maniac. He really does. And, and yeah, and again, he he went uh, tit for tat with for 15 straight minutes of, and these aren't 15 regular minutes, 15 insanely scramble filled moments, uh, minutes with Marab Dualajwili. Yeah, and both men were, you know, aside from the fact Dualajwili was weirdly half unconscious, equally fresh at the end. Yeah. Um. So yeah, yeah I. Yeah, the only thing is that I just sort of have a feeling that Song Yudong might just KO Ricky Simone. Sure. <laughs> he might just clip him on the chin. But I've just been really impressed with Ricky Simone and all that he's added, and he really seems to have learned from his experiences in the UFC. I mean, I, I can't really think of uh, any more impressively quick sort of transformations uh, yeah. than what happened to Ricky Simone's game almost immediately after that loss to Rob Font. He realized yeah. there was a problem. And then he came out in his next fight against Ray Borg and had already clearly been putting a ton of work in on his boxing and his striking. Uh-huh. Um, and it, uh, unlike a guy like, say, Curtis Blades, 
all those improvements have not taken away from his ability to wrestle people. They still fit in to his yeah. wrestling game. Yeah. The head movement can feed into a reactive shot just as easily as it can feed into a counter punch. The punches lead to takedowns. The takedowns lead to tie-ups, and on the breaks, he's going to throw combinations. The wrestling is still very much a part of how Ricky Simone has learned to strike. And, um, yeah, I just think you, you have two incredible athletes here, one of whom has essentially been stagnant for years and uh, the other of whom is continuing to learn and get impressive wins over really classy opponents. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I think he might get clipped, but otherwise I, I think Ricky Simone, there are a lot of opportunities on a one note fighter like Song Yudong, despite his physicality. And I think Ricky Simone has proven that he can, he can sort of find those openings as he goes. It is absurd that even with the idea that Song Yudong might be, you know, he might be worn out by 30. Right. And has already in, been in the game for 10 years that he's already, he's only 25. Yeah. He only just gained the ability to rent a car. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I mostly agree. It is just hard to like, we call Ricky Simone, Uriah Faber 2.0, and then to just think, yeah, but Uriah, Uriah Faber knocked him out. Yeah. <laughs> like, and if you want to talk about a, a guy who who's striking with a lot of dig your toes in and just like, yeah, yeah, you know, plant your feet and swing at somebody when the moment called for it, uh, that is very much Uriah Faber. Yeah. So, Song Yudong, like, there is, there really is that potential for Song Yudong to just. Yeah. Sit on something in front of Ricky Simone and club him. But that was also pre the Rob. That was pre that was that was pre shift Ricky Simone. Simone has improved. We're both picking Ricky Simone. Okay. It's just you know, it is out there. Song Yudong, guys like him, he it could be thirty five. He could be thirty five and twenty mm -hmm. years into his career. And just be like, oh, yeah, I figured out how to pick up the pace. And then he's, you know, champion. And you're like, yeah, well, that was going to happen. Yeah. He doesn't need to pick up the pace. He needs to relax. Yeah. He needs to capture that form that that Josh Emmett captures like once every three rounds or once every three fights. And yeah. just like settle down. It, it happens sometimes. Like there was Song Yudong had his fight with Kyler Phillips. And I think the funny thing is, yeah. is that. Phillips, you know, it was super competitive in the first round. And I think mm -hmm. he got started to get tired. Yeah. So he was like, oh, God, I got a jab, I guess. And suddenly Kyler Phillips stopped finding opportunities for like four minutes straight in the second round. Yeah. Song Yudong was just like double jabbing him back to the fence. No, he's got the tools are all there. It's he doesn't have the discipline. He's too innately good to have yeah. the discipline. It's just a process thing. And if he can just figure out the process at some point. Yeah, he could, you know, there, there's he, he could turn into a title contender overnight. Yeah, he is so clearly a blue chip and, prospect. And he's already like up, you know, up, yeah, up yeah. At, the door, at the at the edges of the top five right now. So, yeah, the only concerning thing is that he 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 felt like a massive prospect when he got here and he still sort of just feels like a massive prospect. Yeah. It's like, oh, you just you're supposed to be learning as you get older. Yeah. Uh, song opened at minus 115, has bounced up and down a bit, and is currently at plus 122. Ricky Simone opened at plus 104, dropped straight down to about minus 130, and is 
currently sitting at minus 115. So, yeah, pretty good, uh, you know, pretty good odds on Ricky Simone there. Yeah. As the underdog, or as the favorite now. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, yeah, I think within, yeah, it should be close within reason for sure. Yeah, and, 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 a, small, and a small cage, too, you know, got to factor that in mm-hmm. as a help to him here. So, probably... Probably the fight to bank Ricky Simone as the as the possible probable favorite, which also means that you know if you follow the show recently, <laughs> recently not all time we do pretty good over the long haul, but recently just fade us. Yeah. All right. That brings us to a middleweight bout: Kyle Bahio against Michael Alexajic, and um, yeah, this fight kind of pisses me off. Because mm. <laughs> Kyle Bahio, he came to the UFC and he's like, here's my Clark Kent glasses. Mm-hmm. Here's my nerds fight promo. I'm a smart guy that fights. I am the smart guy that does MMA smart. Suck <laughs> it, you jocks. I'm going to do smart things. And what are you going to do about it? And then he just fights like a dumbass for like <laughs> two straight fights. And yeah. he's just like, okay, what is this brand now? How are you going to sell me on this after you have that fight with Mahmoud Muradov? He's he's a he's a jock though. I mean, like he is. I you know. Bought, you bought that song and dance? No, it was just like there's jocks who have glasses. Come on, this guy like went to business school and he's I, like, I got a degree. I I'm smart. <laughs> I know he got he got him at Urban Outfitters. I got a degree and have lenses in them. <laughs> he can have actual glasses and not be a nerd, Sam. No, he can't. He grew up but... in the goddamn '80s. That much is clear. <laughs> no, come um, on, man. He got like a but... degree in political science. That's why he thinks he's smart. I know. I he got know. a communications, a bachelor's in communications. He he went to he went to whatever school that. Uh... That gave uh oh damn it what what's his name the uh <laughs> the conspiracy theorist from Arkansas the conspiracy theorist Bryce Mitchell Bryce Mitchell yeah he gave Bryce Mitchell his economics degree <laughs> <laughs> oh God Bryce Mitchell has a degree in economics he does oh my God from a another, small another classic dumb guy from, bachelor's. from a small religious college with like. <laughs> wow yeah he got an economics degree that taught him absolutely nothing about economics yeah he taught him uh, yeah economics is like 201 was like unto caesar was the message yeah 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 now listen y'all really shouldn't pay too much attention to all this because that's for that ain't for the kingdom of heaven (laughs) is that clear uh all right. Kyle Bahio. Bahalio is a fake nerd. Yeah, fake, fake nerd. Fake gamer girl, Kyle Bahalio. Yeah, fake gamer girl. <laughs> and, I mean, that fight with Muradov was just... Yeah. It was miserable. Muradov took him down. Uh, and it was really... And neither guy landed any... 
did anything at all. Like they they landed fifteen strikes each, significant strikes each. It, the whole fight was just a slog of traded position, yeah. and there was no real ability to maintain position until Muradov was gassed late in the fight from Bahio. And his striking out at range was started strong and then it just kind of went away. I don't know. Like he's got this pseudo Machida thing that I'm really not enamored with. Uh huh. It's very slow paced, very pick your single shot, very try to surprise only. Yeah. He's classic, not... classic. I think I'm smarter than I am guy striking. Yeah. And really? he's not terribly, uh, he's not inac- inaccurate with it. He's got mm-hmm. that going for him, but it's inactive to the point that it just doesn't have like the ability to surprise. There's no ability to follow up. Yeah. You know, this is a guy who, has never knocked anyone out in his whole career. And he's spending whole rounds throwing one strike per minute trying to get the surprise flash KO. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, oh, why? So, uh, and he's fighting Michael Alexejuk, who's... Uh, Time now down in the middleweight division has taught him to just go ham on people. <laughs> Which is and a lesson all, he seems to have learned and unlearned at various points in his career. Yeah. Alexejic started out on the regionals as a dude who would just go ham on people and they would hit, hit him and hurt him. And he would just continue going ham until they got tired and then he would win. And then he got knocked back a couple times in the UFC and sort of started adjusting to becoming a slightly more nuanced boxer and seeming like he was kind of figuring out a more complex game. And then Dustin Jacoby went out there and just sort of outpointed him and outstyled him for three rounds. And he sort of went, okay, fuck this. This is bullshit. I'm taking my ball and going home. And he went finally down to 185 pounds. He should have always been a middleweight. I I liked him at 100 or 205 pounds because it was just that proof that, like, it's not a real, these aren't real divisions and you shouldn't be splitting these hairs. Yeah. You've got a middleweight here who's just like, well, my head's hard. I'll be the technical middleweight. And he won fights. Mm Mm-hmm. And then he, yeah, he just went down to 185. He's like, now I'm the big guy. Time for the dumb stuff again. And he's just charging at people, throwing as much as he can, running over as much as he can, and creating as much chaos as he can. So far, it's worked. But it's, it's, you know, it's back to pre-UFC chaotic. uh, Yeah. Michael Alexejic. And it, and it worked on Sam Alvey. Sam Alvey and Cody and, Brooks. And I believe his was that his final UFC fight? Yes, the fight that they finally decided, okay, you know what? Even the pictures that he is holding over me that he will release to the tabloids. They're not this bad. They're not this bad. <laughs> <laughs> now he's going to go and be in like bare knuckle FC 
and still be like, the UFC's great. Don't you guys yeah. think the UFC's great? Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, and Cody Brunda, just the other Thank one that Owens H is beating. They're 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 both they're they're. I mean, I I don't know that they're like much worse necessarily than Kyle Bahalia, but they're not they're not very good. Yeah. Of course, the thing with the Brundage fight is that Brundage did go out immediately and hit three takedowns on Michael yeah. Sajic because he was just going so bananas. Yeah. Uh, which Ohio can do kinda. He's got a he's got a decent takedown game that leads to a just blanket boring suffocating top game. Well, you can see why he is a boring blanket because anytime he makes a decision, he can't settle down and work methodically. Yeah. Any, anytime he makes a decision to attack or advance, he loses position. Yep. So it's either, yeah, do nothing or do something way too big and screw up. That yeah. seems to be the grappling game. And if you screw up against Alexajic, he will make you pay for it. Like, Brundage was all over him, and Alexajic was able to just roll through, and the moment he did and he was on top, he yeah. started hammering Brundage. Now, Brundage is a wrestler who doesn't have any game off his back, but... Bahia's game off his back against Mahmoud Muradov was no not good. So I don't I I guess I'm just gonna roll with the Luxajic here. I I am very nervous about his takedown game. And Bahio is accurate from range, but he's not gonna do enough. He shouldn't do enough unless Luxajic is just mystified by his his karate show. He shouldn't do enough to keep Alexajic from just charging him down. At which point, yeah, maybe he takes Alexajic down, but does he just hold him down to for three rounds to win? Yeah. I mean, I think Bahalio has all the potential to beat Alexajic. Like, he really he's does. Clearly a very good athlete. He should be a much better fighter than he is. I am also going to pick Alexajic largely because Bahayu hasn't lost yet. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. However terrible the fights have been, it keeps working. So I have no reason to think that he will have taken any lesson away from his experiences. Yeah. And and, and yeah, he's he's absolutely going to hit some takedowns, but um, Alexajic fights pretty hard to regain position. Uh, my only concern really is that Oleksajic might gas, which happens every like three or four fights. Yeah. And sometimes he goes absolutely crazy and gets like knocked down and all these things that should test his conditioning and he's still there and he outlasts people. Other times he goes absolutely crazy and just wears himself out utterly. Mm-hmm. I, I can't really say what <laughs> differentiates one of those performances from the others. Certainly, there's the potential to gas here, tying up with a big, strong uh, middleweight like Bahalio, who is going to hit takedowns and is going to be uh, really suffocating whenever he's not giving up position to try something. But I just, yeah, I just don't, I just don't trust Bahalio to ju- to beat a guy like Oleksajic by just locking him out of the fight the whole time. I, I don't think yeah. he's good. He doesn't make good enough decisions to do that. He doesn't. And I think his striking, his whole striking game is a complete paper tiger. It, Yeah, it, that's how it feels to me, too. Yeah, it, I, all it, this his, 
posturing and the lowered guard and and then like the moment you fainted him like when when machida used to pull back from somebody who was like you know making a move towards him he would keep his stance <laughs> because the idea of the retreat is for you to chase him so he can knock you out Bahalio is not a counterpuncher so like if you make a move at him he just like he just falls out of his stance yeah oh, oh, oh. Like he he just wants you to sort of accept being at his range and give him as much time as he wants to pop you with something, and yep. um, yeah, I just think he's gonna be uncomfortable on the feet with Alexajuk, and it's going to um, it's gonna make it more difficult for him to even get to his takedowns as well. I gotta say, Kyle Bahia's now that I've th- now that we've discussed it a little more, uh-huh. Kyle Bahia's topology photo is the most nerd in a porn. Topology photo. Oh, absolutely. This is not a real nerd, folks. Yeah. 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 Oh, I just, I don't know. I have to study for my maths exam. Yeah. 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 And then he has to deliver lines and he's like, yeah, I just really struggling with trigonometry. (laughs) He like can't even say the words. (laughs) Also, I'm pretty sure in that photo too, that his... I can't. Well, maybe, maybe not. I'm, I'm trying to see. Are those tint, are are his glasses tinted? Those might be like actually. I don't just, think so. I think that. No. that I, again, Zane. Yeah. Jocks can have glasses. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. <laughs> the guy has glasses. They're not fake glasses. I think it's fake. I think it's fake. I'm, I'm sure it's a trick. <laughs> <laughs> you just cannot <laughs> square that circle. You're like, hey, there's something, something's going on here. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, there's no way. He's are these sunglasses? Are these just like very light sunglasses? <laughs> no, Zane. He's a jock whose eyes don't work right. Okay, they exist. I, don't, I, you're not. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Bahio is a huge favorite here. Opened at minus two ninety two. And it's currently minus 338. Alexejic opened at uh, plus 248 and is currently at plus 280. I I get that Bahio is like a, you know, I, I he he looks like a great prospect. And yeah. uh, he hasn't lost in a long time. He's got the physicality. He's actually only five foot ten, which uh you know, might really not help him here. He and he's got it's taller than that. Yeah, and uh, he's got three surprisingly solid wins in the UFC. Honestly, like Godziomer Godziev and uh, Armin Petrosian and Mahmoud Muradov, they're all like guys with technical games, at least in one area. Yeah, all, they're you know at least a couple of them are pretty good athletes as well. Um. It's just maybe it's just biased that we just don't like his game at I'm all. I'm sure it is. I'm sure that's part of it. We're about to be shown up here. Yeah. I will but, also say though that like yeah, like beating Muradov in a fight like that, I think looked to me more than anything like Muradov himself has spent his entire career just beating people who yeah, who are go just god awful athletes. <laughs> Muradov is definitely a fighter who is we are learning rapidly is so used to people going away that simply yeah. not going away is a yeah. huge problem for him. Yeah. You know. So I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm 
the odds are wide, but I, I'm I'm willing to stick with my my feeling that Alexeja can just fight through and do real damage. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, if he gets taken down a bunch and just out grappled, you know, I won't be shocked. Yeah, he just doesn't he just doesn't tend to lose like that though. No, it's true. You usually have to like scrambler. Yeah, he really is. So he 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 can destroy himself, but it's usually difficult to just lock Oluxajic out of the fight. And it's notable, Ohio. He has three submissions in his whole career. Mm-hmm. One of them a guillotine. One of them an anaconda. And then one very early one, a rear naked choke. Hmm. So you have two front headlock position submissions and one actually I have locked down a solid positional submission. Yeah. And like, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't say to me like, Oh, if Bahio is on Alexejic, he's going to get a sub. Yeah. If he had an arm bar, if I hadn't seen him actually go for an arm bar that was comically bad against Muradov, I might be more worried yeah. because the, the yeah. Kimura that Oleg Sajic gave up to Jimmy Crew was, you know, it's probably the thing that Jimmy Crew is best at is his submission yeah. grappling, but still wasn't a great look. All right. That brings us to another middleweight bout Adolfo Vieira, Cody Brundage. And, uh, yeah, I, you know what? I'm just going to lead this and say I have been mildly impressed with both of these men given the problems that they have exposed for themselves. Um, yeah, yeah. Because Adolfo Vieira came, I, I'm, I mean, obviously, I had a very, uh, we've had a, a couple moments where we've been incredibly unimpressed with Adolfo Vieira. Yeah. But that fight he had against Chris Curtis, that was a really, honestly, pretty good look for him. It was. Very solid he did, performance. He did not get blown out in what ended up being mostly a striking battle with Chris mm-hmm. Curtis. Mm-hmm. And for Cody Brundage, for a dude that came in and I was like, wow, this is like, the most like ungabunga <laughs> dumb guy MMA game in the UFC. He's actually like he he was he outsmarted Treshawn Gore and Dolce Lungiambula. Uh-huh. Which I mean that's not huge, but it's it's more than I gave him credit for. Yeah, he, you know? he's he's a pretty classic type of middleweight, I think. Like, um, I mean, he really reminds me a lot of a a a, a less dynamic version of uh, of our guy Ian Heinish. Like, mm-hmm. he's gonna throw like one super committed bomb, or he's gonna like crash into you and not usually hit you with like a super clean takedown <clears throat> that yeah. he can. Mm-hmm. But we'll create like an awkward tie-up where he's going to latch onto your back, um, or grab onto a single, and he he's like a he's like a work ethic fighter. And I I think he actually 
you know, he doesn't have a lot of tools in his toolbox, but I think right. he actually thinks about how to use them. Yes, absolutely. He comes into fights with game plans and with ideas of like. Yeah, that's why he reminds me of Heinish because Heinish yeah. was pretty. He only had a couple dimensions, but he would he was pretty crafty in how he tried to use them. Yeah. He fought like a guy with some like experience that he had learned from who wasn't just expecting to do two things and win because of it. Yeah, like Treshawn Gore, he knew <clears throat> Gore was out there just expecting and waiting for him to shoot. And so he just like fainted a shot and blasted him with an overhand and put him out. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. like, you know, that's actually a little bit of thought there. Yeah. And he, you know, he tried like a, a high kick off the rear waist cinch. Mm-hmm. Um, as Treshawn Gore broke, so he was like ready for him to break. Like, yeah, he is a calculating fighter for his for his toolkit. It's just not much of a toolkit. It's not much of a toolkit, and I don't think it's the right toolkit to beat the Vieta that I just saw. Frankly, narrowly lose to Chris Curtis. Yeah. Um, because even if even if we hadn't seen that Vieta, if I had just seen a fight that proved he's not going to gas out every single time like he did against Fluffy. Um, then I would still be like, well, e- either Brundage knocks him out or he is going to completely refuse him the wrestling and grappling phase. And that ain't going to happen. I don't, I mean, but you know what? Honestly, Brundage will try. <laughs> yeah, I, I think probably this fight will end up on the mat. And there's, there is an avenue for Brundage to win there if he can be tireless, but I have not seen him be tireless. Right. Yeah, and and he he probably also it seems like the kind of very broad thing that he is also gonna he thinks he's gonna outstrike yeah Adolfo Vieta as well. That's my guess. That would be the that would be the the smartest proposition he could come up with given his toolkit. Yeah, so he thinks he's gonna like keep him at bay. He's gonna jab him and use what footwork he has, which you know again he did it at bits against Treshawn Gore. Like he, he, he is not a, he's not just a dumb brute, Yeah, but he does not have the fleshed out like back foot boxing game to actually keep Vieta from engaging him in wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, in part because a large part of Brundage's own striking game is having the wrestling as an option. Yep. Um, so, you know, taking that out leaves him even, even more limited, I think. And tends to be very much one strike at a time. Um, and too easy to corner. And yeah, Vieta showed like genuinely pretty solid boxing against Chris Curtis. Mm-hmm. He was out there with a nice long jab, which he was doubling and tripling. He was finding a couple short combinations off of it. He was fainting. Um, he looked like somebody who had really been uh, forced to actually strike a bunch to the point that he started to get used to it yeah i mean he looked like a world-class competitor who went to another sport and got embarrassed more than he ever had been in his life yeah probably since he was 11 years old and first like tangled with a with a black belt yeah it was like oh my god i've never been so humiliated and he did what he did in his grappling career he's like no 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 no. i'm not going to stand for this and he got better yeah he got better quite quickly um so yeah, and, and and Vieta is one of these guys like uh like like Jacare Souza, one of these jiu-jitsu players who is a really a quite a strong takedown artist. Mm-hmm. And is also just a freak athlete uh to go with that. 
And I think we already knew in his fight with Hernandez that the main reason for him gassing like he did was that he was panicking. He was freaking out. He was too tense. And having gone through that experience, I have not seen that from Vieta again. And and we've also seen now from Hernandez in several fights that that kid is... Yeah. He is a he is a fucking nightmare. Yeah, like, he breaks people, but Vieta broke himself as much. Yeah, as that night. he had it all his way, and it was only like three minutes, and he gassed. He was just yeah. uh, the nerves got to him. the The MMA ness of it all got to him. Yeah, but he seems to have gotten over that, and yeah, he's just like way stronger of a specialist than Brundage, and I think already about as good in Brundage's B game as Brundage is. Mm-hmm. So I have to pick Vieta. Yep. That's pretty much it. I, I don't think this fight stays off the mat. And even if it doesn't stay off the mat, I would still say that Vieira has the advantage because he has the he has the part of the game that Brundage doesn't want to deal with. Yep. So Brundage is the one who has to guess, is this guy shooting on me or is he striking? Vieira shouldn't have to guess at that. Right. Uh I mean, if I were Brundage, and honestly, if I, you know, I'm not going to give him any actual advice because I don't fight, but this would be probably the time to try the walling and stallingest clinch game of all time. Yeah, yeah. Just go out there and mash this guy on the fence. Just, you know, hit him to the body as much as you can and give him no room and let him set nothing up. But. That's easier said than done. And who knows if Brundage can even compete in the clinch with Vieira. It might be that Vieira can hit a bunch of upper body hip tosses and takedowns yeah. that a lot of jiu-jitsu players rely on that Brundage has no clue about. So Odds on the bout. Vieira is a solid favorite, opened at minus 260 or so, and is currently up at minus... 238 and Brundage opened at plus 240 or plus 230 rather and is currently at plus 207. So odds are getting a bit narrower over time, but VR deserves to be a solid favorite. Um, this just doesn't feel like a game or a fight that Brundage's game is made for, yeah, really. All right, that brings us to a featherweight bout. Julian Arosa, Fernando Padilla. And um, there is a small cause for concern here in that Julian Arosa's fight with Alex Caceres was just really bad. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what the hell he was thinking but he went out there and he just tried to have a range kickboxing battle with Alex Caceres which was more than anything the the fight Alex Caceres was most likely to win yeah and Caceres was just creative enough and Rosa was he looked nervous about it honestly he didn't look like it was even the fight he wanted, but uh, I don't know if Caceres is a I, big I, enough. I think the reach threw him. That's my guess. Yeah. My best guess is that he he had somebody, yeah, tall and lanky, and he's like, that's my thing. And I'm already incredibly hittable, <laughs> even against the short guys. And I think, he, 
yeah, this is a dynamic we see again and again and again in MMA is that there are guys who every read you have on their striking like has to be understood in the context of are they taller than almost all of their opponents? Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, granted, the, the, the argument against that would be he was way more aggressive against Sean Woodson. Yeah. Who's a, a, a tall freak. So yep. I, I don't know, but that's what it looked like to me is he had like a mobile I mean, it could also fighter. be honestly too that, uh, he, you know, Caceres is, he's kind of a name, you know, he's somebody that, uh, yeah. he's, he's been around for a long time. Fighters are used to the idea of him as like a tough competitor. So maybe there were some jitters around that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You never know. Cause you never know what fighters like they have some, you know, they hold on to some strange, you know, they, they're the guys. They, a lot of them think of as great are like the people who were great five or six or eight years ago kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but that is a concern against Fernando Padilla because P- Fernando Padilla is tall and he's taller and rangier than Alex Caceres. Because Caceres is actually shorter and has less reach yeah. than uh, Julian Arosa. Padilla he fights very long. Padilla is neither. Uh, the the benefit is that Padilla does not fight long. Yeah. At all. And he does not. Um, he does not fight. He does not strike with a lot of intentionality outside of the clinch. He's very much a. I think he's a fighter used to being bigger than his opponents. Yeah. And he can be hit quite hard and quite clean as he is just sort of stalking his way in and then, you know, linking up with somebody and being the big wiry grapply guy or the big wiry limbs and, you know, difficult person in clinches and on the ground that they don't want to deal with. I think that's a fight that Julian Arosa should be able to win. That is his, that is the game where he thrives. It was like, Oh, you want to be, you want to be difficult and, and aggressive and assert yourself on me in like in messy tie-ups I will I will assert myself twice as hard I will be the crafty vet but uh, there's no guarantees with Julian Arosa mm-hmm. well there, I mean yeah let's not forget just because he's had some impressive performances the most consistent thing in Julian Arosa's entire career is getting KO'd in the first round. Yeah. That has happened many times throughout basically every phase of his career. Yep. And uh, to all sorts of levels of competition, too. Although most of them are actually pretty big hitters. Caceres is the exception. Yeah. Sung Choi, Devontae Smith, Okay, and Bobby McIntyre. I don't know that Bobby McIntyre is... Well, all of Bobby McIntyre's wins are almost all first-round finishes, but, man, has he lost as many fights as he's won. Um, 
But yeah, and then otherwise, Artem Lobov, Teruto Ishihara knocked him out in the second round, also a pretty big puncher. And then Julio Arce in the third. I'm just going to pick Juliana Rosa. Padilla is good. I'm just not, you know, I don't know what I see out of his game. Mm-hmm. But this, it, it seems to me like a very scrappy, we're going to get in and go to war. He's got a lot of submissions and a lot of them in off of his back, arm bars, triangle chokes, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, a lot of scrappy later round finishes where he's tied up with somebody or he's been hurt already in the fight. And uh, one of the things that they noted in the commentary of his last fight on the regional scene is that he tends to gas as fights go on too. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I'm just, that to me all feels like a fight that Julian Arosa can win. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, in fact, every time Padilla has been to a decision, except for a split against Nate Richardson, he's lost. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the, the trouble is, is yeah, you're, you, you are picking a guy who wins when he knocks people out early. True. To, uh, to, uh, to lose to Erosa. But, I, but he's very, mechanically, he's very much like Erosa. And mm-hmm. he's himself incredibly easy to hit. Yeah. He has and and easy to take down. Like as you said, he's he's got all the submissions off his back. There's just very little of uh, defense in Padilla's game overall. I think his yeah, his idea. I don't see of, a lot of big power outside of the clinch either. So because for Arosa, it's really just getting hammered on the way in that tends to be the thing that knocks him out. Yeah, I mean, I could see that happening. Padilla really likes really likes his like uppercut hook counters. Sure. Um, these are definitely shots he could find against Arosa, who's like crashing into him. Mm-hmm. But he is also going to get hit super clean, and um, his entire idea of defense seems to just be throwing back. This is all very much like Arosa again. Like, yeah, it's just that Arosa, as the fight goes on, tends to get stronger. Exactly. In that game. Yeah. Yeah. You don't knock him out early. He tends to be. He tends to start winning. Yeah. Even if you win the first two rounds off of him, Arosa will usually win the third. Yeah. The the classic Arosa loss could certainly happen here, but um, I think most of the guys that Padilla has KO'd early are, frankly, not good. Yeah. Um, and basically all the guys who have managed to take him decision, to decision and therefore to beat him are like credentialed fighters, people with winning records, um, people who have themselves fought good opposition. Um, yeah, he, even the guy who lost the, dis- the split decision to him, Nate Richardson, is like his record stands out among all the guys that Padilla has actually managed to beat and finish. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I just I think Arosa can probably go toe to toe with him a bit more than because um, as, as much as, you know, we talked about it was Arosa. Was it the name? Was it the size? Whatever against Caceres. Um, Padilla is absolutely more likely to be in a position of I have literally never faced somebody who's even close to as tall as I am. Yeah. And I, I don't even know if it would make a huge difference anyway, because, again, like I said, he's already incredibly easy to hit. Uh-huh. 
Um, so yeah, I, I'm going to take Erosa as well. I think he can wear him down and give, will, him the, give him the give him too much of the fight he thinks he wants. Yeah, I will be very sad though if if Erosa loses this fight. Yeah, not because it can't happen, but just because he's he should be in a position of like he, he's he's your perennial mid card action fighter. Yeah, and this is just not a fight that he needs. Like he can lose any fight, so you put him in against some, you know, some new guy on his way up the in into the into the promotion for their first fight, and he loses that, then you just ruined the value of Julian Arosa as your mid card action fighter for nothing. Yeah. So, it, it is just a booking I don't like. You know, you you get Arosa in there with your your Duho Choi's out there, you know? Yeah. Odds on the bout. Erosa is opened at minus 252. Way too wide. It's currently a minus 140. Padilla opened at plus 218. Is currently plus 126. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to say it should be 50-50, but it should be not that far off of 50-50. It should be like where it is now with Erosa as a slight favorite as the longtime veteran, but he's shown the ability to lose too many fights to just say, oh, he can't lose this one. All right, that brings us to a heavyweight bout. Marcos Rogerio de Lima, Waldo Cortez Acosta. Mm -hmm. And I think... Connor, you, do you do you think you're you're gonna finally get your wish? <laughs> well, what is my wish? I I wish this fight wasn't happening. I'm gonna close my <laughs> eyes. I'm gonna close my eyes and see if it's been removed from the card. There's a no. very good chance one of these men could could actually miss weight. Um, oh yeah. But you've been very very much vocal on the what does Waldo Cortez Acosta even do? Train. In fight in his fights in the past, yeah, he he's he's very very limited, and I quite correctly picked him to beat Chase Sherman simply because he's fast. And you put any skill above any of Chase Sherman's skills, and you pretty much automatically have a Chase Sherman loss. Did I pick? I did I pick Chase Sherman? I don't think I, I don't did. know. I might have talked you out of picking. I'm Chase pretty Sherman. sure I picked him. I was just mad at it the whole time. Yeah, you were just mad at it the whole time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and did he beat Chase Sherman impressively? No, he barely no. scraped by him. Yeah, he, he barely scraped by everyone. He barely scraped by Jared <clears throat> Vanderaw. Yeah. Um, he was like getting chewed up with low kicks by Jared Vanderaw. And yeah, he's just like he's one of my least favorite types of fighters, which is that his game is is incredibly limited, and he will be barely winning a fight, but he will be in there like swaggering and posturing, and just literally just like he will just waste time when he should be trying to put himself in winning position in order to look cool, which is uh, I'm all for showboating and fights, you know. Uh, I, I love a little yeah. swagger, but you, you'd better be winning the fight. If yeah, you're doing that. yeah. Or, winning the fight or, or losing heroically, and you're exactly. like, I don't care. Like, you you should not be out there. Like, I'm in a an incredibly tepid. Like, this is guaranteed to go to split decision kind of fight. 
Yeah. You either you you need to be showboating because you're winning and you want everybody to love and or hate you while you win. That's a strong reason. Yeah. Or you are losing and you need to to try to gain you you need the gamesmanship to try to get something out of this fight. You yeah. need to try to draw your opponent into a mistake. You need to have people remember you even in a loss. You need something to help try and alleviate the pain of losing a horrible fight. Yeah. You, Which... you don't do it in a close fight that you're barely squeaking out because, you know, suddenly you're taking your time to showboat in a round you desperately need to win and you're, you're not winning that round. Like you're simply just taking away time yeah. from yourself. Yeah. It, you're not going to win me over. And very likely it is a little bit more of the latter category. Like in, in Acosta's, uh, Cortez Acosta's head, he probably is like getting frustrated. Could be. Yeah. And it's just like trying to make the opponent make a mistake. But if like, yeah, your, your go-to to get the guy to open up is to <laughs> act like a goddamn fool. Then I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm very much an old man when it comes to yeah. that. It's completely, uh, an interpersonal thing. It has nothing to do with his fighting style. I, I, I guess it's compounded by the fact that his fighting style, again, is incredibly limited. He's very yeah, I mean, The thing to me is, like, I'm not, I, I try not to be an old man about that stuff. I, I don't mind fighting showboating, but it should always be, everything in the fight should be competitively geared towards winning you the fight. I like showboating. It's a spectator yeah. sport, like I said. Yeah, I like it too. I just, you, you, you better be winning, or else you're you, like, you're, yeah. You're, it's frustrating. Yes. If you're not doing something, if, if what you're doing is not geared towards you winning, I am not interested. Yeah. If you're not feeling yourself or like desperate looking for an opportunity or just, yeah, losing but still feeling yourself, like I'm perfectly happy with a, a showboating that isn't even like a tactic. Like you're not trying to sucker the guy into something. You're just like, I bet you can't kill me, pussy. Yeah, that's cool showboating, too. You know, <laughs> like you know, you're not going to win, but you just refuse to go away. You know, bravo. Be brave. Yep. I, it's it is a particular circumstance of not knowing what to do to actually concretely win the fight. <laughs> um, and, and this is the problem is that Cortez Acosta is very slow on his feet. He's plotting. He wants to just get really close to somebody so he can throw punches in the pocket but he doesn't know how to cut off the cage. He doesn't build behind a jab. He doesn't faint. Um, he's like wide open to get hit with anything. And he just like walks after people like mm -hmm. the most boring version of Jason uh, you've ever imagined. And, um, you know, Marcos and Jerry DeLima makes catastrophically bad decisions. Justin, <laughs> it's just, he's the Justin serial killer. Can you imagine a serial killer named Justin? <laughs> It, uh, it took me a minute to understand what the hell you were talking about. Yeah, oh God, Justin is after me. <laughs> he'd never, he'd never be scared. He'd, he'd... Justin, uh, what's the version of Freddy Krueger? It's like Frank Kellogg. Yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> just a guy, really. Um. Yeah, and then Marcos de Lima makes like catastrophically bad decisions, but um, he still makes decisions. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's out there doing insane dynamic stuff, 
And uh, I don't know. Like, I think some people had like the glimmer of hope that he was going to be like better as a heavyweight. He's pretty much just the same guy he has always been. I mean, the big thing for Marco Sergio de Lima at heavyweight has been he is packed on enough weight that he feels really like he can wrestle now. And he's in yeah. a division of guys that can't. His opponents are even worse at wrestling and grappling than they were at light heavyweight. Yeah. And so sometimes after punching people really hard for a round, he can spend the rest of the fight just laying on them. Yeah. And at that point, he doesn't gas nearly as badly as he used to. Uh, otherwise, you get a fight like Blagoy Ivanov where you get Marco Sergio de Lima absolutely looking like a world beater for one round and then just kind of falling apart, which yeah. is standard Marco Sergio de Lima stuff. Yeah, I'm picking de Lima. I mean, whatever. Yeah. Cortez Acosta is just not nearly as good as he thinks he is. It's not just resentment. Like, he is truly an extremely limited fighter. Yep. I need to see anything else from him before I will pick him against him. He's coming to MMA from the, you know, hallowed grounds of pro baseball as his striking background. And, uh, or as his mixed martial arts background. So, like, good athlete. Yes. Technical somebody learn with with any technical basis in fighting? Absolutely not. Just learning on the fly. Also from the laziest professional sport. Yeah, <laughs> that there is. And so uh yeah, I mean if, if somebody can get his act together and really teach him a lot, then there's something to work with there. But Marco Sergio de Lima can, is, you know, is a dude who can match him for raw speed and can do it with much better form and then has a go-to B game that Waldo Cortez Acosta does not have an answer for. Yeah. So, yeah, you got to take Marco Sergio de Lima here. Every fight that he has lost in the past have more than like eight years is somebody who could turn a more technical game around on him after he got tired. Mm-hmm. All of them. Nikita Krylov, Godzimarad Antigulov, Ovin St. Prue, Stefan Struve, Alexander Romanov, Blagoy Ivanov. They're all people that had a more technical game to go to after he got tired. And that's not Waldo Cortez Acosta. So, odds on the bout. Delima is the favorite here. Open at minus 107. Currently down at minus 175. Uh, Cortez Acosta opened at minus 103. Jumped up to minus 140 and is currently at my, or jumped to plus 140 and is currently at plus 155. Those odds are trending in the right direction as far as I'm concerned. I think that uh, Jose Delima should just be a favorite here. The only the only real chance out there I see is that Waldo Cortez Costa is just big and fast enough that he could just go out there and plug him with a shot early while they're still fresh. Um but that's a hard mark. I mean, he could he could plug him late too. Like he gets tired in every fight it's heavyweight. It's it's a but, terrible fight. This fight is terrible. But Marcos 
Rogerio de Lima has never been knocked out. He must have been club and subbed. Maybe, yeah, I'm sure he's probably been club and subbed, but it's not like Waldo Cortez Acosta can sub somebody. No. God, this sucks. This fight sucks. Yeah. <laughs> this is me. I'm shocked it's not the main event. You know, <laughs> it's it's that bad. I can't believe they didn't make it the main event or put it in some I mean, more prominence. Uh, uh, Marco Sergio de Lima, like the man just beat Andre Arlovsky. Book him against, I don't know, find some other, you know, book him against Jelton Almeida or something. You know, well, that's a waste of him, too, because he's just going to lose. Sure. But you book him against some other mid card heavyweight. Waldo Cortez Acosta is just. I don't know. The, Waldo Cortez Acosta is somebody who, who there's something to be made there in three or four years. Yeah. You know, until then, just let him like beat up, like fight the absolute worst of the division. Well, I don't want to see any more of that either. Well, yeah, but on the I've seen him fight the worst of the division. It's the worst thing I've ever seen <laughs> on the regionals, not in the UFC. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely do that. Yeah. You know what? Uh, Send it back to baseball. Yeah. <laughs> he got kicked out for fighting. <laughs> <laughs> Did he really? Yeah, yeah, literally. That's awesome. All right. And that brings us to a welterweight bout. Josh Quinlan, Trey Waters, and um this should just be a solid win for Josh Quinlan. Waters is a tall slick guy who doesn't have a lot of power so he really just has to wade in and like force engagements out of people where he has to scrap himself his way through them with a great amount of difficulty it's you know for for waters it's all sort of about can he survive long enough to turn the fight basically with his size and his willingness to scrap and Quinlan is a really heavy handed good natural athlete who has never lost and neither guy wants to hit takedowns so that will take away the biggest hole in Quinlan's game which is his ability to get taken down because he just wants to punch you in the head so hard. Yeah. Like we really need to get a paternity test done on Josh Quinlan to be absolutely 100% sure that he's not a Robbie Lawler love child at <laughs> some point in the, uh, well, he was born in the nineties. So, it would have to be, you know, teenage Robbie Lawler. That is, seems al- almost the likeliest Robbie Lawler. True. To a father to love child. Uh-huh. Because, like, he just he kind of looks like him. He yeah. really fights like him. It is something in the water. Josh Quinlan is gunning for the, you know, you go back, you watch young Robbie Lawler highlights of like his, when he first got to the UFC yeah, and you watch Josh Quinlan, you're like, okay, wow. Yeah. This is a lot of the same thing. A lot of speed, a lot of power, some really good basic technique and 
a innate desire to brawl it out. Yeah. So I I got to take Josh Quinlan here. And if he continues down this path, he could one day be one of my favorite fighters. Hey, now I'm not sure that the Robbie Lawler path is the most... Uh... <laughs> it's most retraceable. No, <laughs> most not. fighters. That was a long and storied career with many distinct phases. Yes. Uh, like at some point in like ten years from now, Quinn then will have to fall into a apparently deep depression where he like stops shaving and just takes a bunch of fights and stops trying to win them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then somehow come out the other side down a weight class and become a champion. But that didn't. I mean, that just made Robbie Lawler so much better. Oh yeah, yeah. like a story to follow. Yeah, it was so much more fun to see him come out the other side and be winning. Man, remember when the UFC was that exciting? Barely. Robbie Lawler was champ. Mark Hunt was on a run. Yeah. Yeah, the rally for Mark Hunt was fun as well. (sighs) Great times. Great times. Anyway, yeah, Josh Quinlan. I really wish this was. uh, the Angelosa fight still. I think yeah. that would have been a serious, serious test for Quinlan. Yep, that would have been fun. Um, somebody who would have like let him, you know, overflow with confidence for maybe the first few minutes. But Angelosa is one of those guys who, like, you know, he 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 gets beaten up and things go a little bad for for him, and then he sort of becomes yeah. the fighter that Daddy Hooft wants him to be. Mm-hmm. He he is like tough and resilient and resourceful. And um, that would have been a really interesting fight. This just feels like a pretty straightforward pick for Quentin. Yep. Got right. nothing else to add. No. Odds on the bout. Quinlan is the favorite. Opened at minus about 170 and is currently down at minus 184. And uh, Waters opened at plus 142 and is currently at plus 163. That is trending in the right direction to me. Waters uh, has what I would describe as a quadruple-A MMA game. Yeah. Where there's some slickness and some technique and a lot of uh, lack, a lot less defense than he thinks there is. But on the regionals where there aren't a lot of really dangerous strikers, yeah, he gets to be the dangerous striker. I mean, it's a lot like Julian Arosa, honestly, mm-hmm. way more than Padilla. Trey Waters is jumping into the pocket with that sort of like one hand up, one hand down thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then like trying to throw a little quick flurry and slide out of the way. And you're just like. And you see fights where he just gets clubbed immediately. And credit to him, he hasn't lost a lot. He rallies back in those fights. But it is not, I think, a sustainable style at a higher level. Yeah, Quinlan is just going to shock the shit out of him. I think so. So. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast Network production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets, including SoundCloud, 
Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, iHeartRadio, SiriusXM, Pandora, TuneIn Radio, Overcast, Google Podcasts, Music B, RSS Radio, IMDB, and now also found in your app store on apps such as Downcast, the podcast app, iCatcher, PodCruncher, Podbean, and more. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get brand new shows throughout the week, including the Care Don't Care Podcast, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, Crooklyn's Corner, the Sixth Round Retro, the Show Money Podcast, the MMA Depressed Us, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, and the Return of the MMA Bunker. <laughs> 